Hi and welcome to Journey to a Dream again. I'm Beth Espy and this podcast is all about talking to motorcycle racers about why they want to race on the Isle of Man specifically. And there are all sorts of reasons for this. And some people tend to keep their dreams to themselves a little bit. And this is exactly what happened with our guest today. My name is Carolyn Sells. I used to race motorbikes. Started in the year 2000 and then I started on the roads in 2003, Jerby Road being my first and the Manx Grand Prix being my second. I first came to the Isle of Man in 1985 with my entire family because my dad started racing in the Manx Grand Prix on his BSA, I think at the time, or that might be wrong. But yeah, he did the classic races. He started racing in 1979 when I was very little, just before I was six. Yeah, so uh, we used to travel all over the country, going to places like Cadwell Park, Mallory Park. We used to travel in convoy with all the other people that we used to race with. And uh, yeah, it was a great little sort of gypsy life, really. (laughs) My favourite memory is Cadwell Park. So back in the day, we used to be able to sit right on the edge of the circuit and watch our dads race so as they were going around the hairpin or up the mountain we'd literally be sat on the bank right at the edge with our legs dangling over and then at the end of the races they used to come and they would pull up at the bottom of the mountain and we would jump down off the bank get on the back of our dads no helmets probably no trousers you know in shorts and a t-shirt and they would take us up the mountain which was on the circuit and up into the paddock yeah that's one of my favorite memories from being a kid that and all the other things we used to get up to <laughs> that sounds bad doesn't it didn't think about the dangers really i did see my dad crash once or twice but you know when you're a kid you don't think about dangers in anything really do you <laughs> you know i know that from watching my kids now it was just fun it was just part of life really that was just what we did and can you remember the moment where you thought this is for me i want to be doing what my dad does oh god that didn't come for a very long time really i think i did think about it when i was younger and think oh yeah i'd like to do that but the real desire to do it didn't come until much later probably in my 20s i mean i remember the first women racing at the banks because I was there, I was 16 at the time. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm going to do that one day. But then I kind of went to college and uh, discovered life for a little while and for about 10 years or so before I actually really thought about doing it again. And how influential was it seeing women racing for you? I never think that there's anything I can't do anyway, you know. But yeah, it was definitely a turning point seeing women, you know, because from 1985 until 1989, I was there and there weren't any women. Definitely makes you think, hmm, yeah, I can do that. I think there's a lot more women in motorcycle racing in general now, but road racing is very different and road racing isn't for everyone, whether you're male or female. It's a very different concept. It's a different mindset. So you've done your college days. You've discovered life we'll just leave it there shall we how did you go about finding your path at that point towards road racing my brother started racing my dad was still racing so we were still i was still coming over here Uh, i still came over here most years actually even though i left home when i was 19 i still came over with them every year Uh, and i remember my brother started racing and i was like oh I want to have a go at that. So, yeah, so we got a little 400 and um, I started racing as well, yeah. Where was your first race, do you remember? 
Derby. Derby Airfield. I actually think it was my dad's TZ350, which is quite a bike to start racing on, really. I had a go on that, and I think I did three races in the first year, all at Derby, because mum and dad were living here by then. So I came over. Uh, I used to, I lived in Liverpool, so I just used to jump on the boat, to leave everything here, helmets, leathers, all the rest of it. And just jump on the boat and come over and uh, I did the one race on the 350 and then I did two more meetings on the 250 that year I think it from memory it's quite a long time ago do you remember the conversation maybe that you had with your dad where you discussed the fact that you wanted to do this and do you remember what his reaction if any was to that as I said I was living in Liverpool so it was a telephone conversation really it was like oh I fancy having a go at that and dad was like well you can have a go on my on my bike if you want I had I think I had to do the race school first oh gosh it's terrible it's 23 years ago and I can't remember very well but yeah dad was like oh have a go on my bike then if you want and that was that really and would you say the bug bit at that point yeah I mean I think it, it was something I always knew I wanted to have a go at it's just that along the way other things you know happened and uh, life happened for a while so but I always knew I wanted to have a go at it and it was road racing I wanted to do I didn't set out to start racing at Derby or that was just a path to doing what I wanted to do which was racing on the road. First year I only did three meetings actually I think I did the last one was on a 400 I did the endurance race with another girl I think. I crashed at the start and the bike was spinning around on the ground <laughs> I picked it up and set off and then they they black flagged me because I hadn't been checked over and I had to come back in. I can't remember where we finished, but I think we did the whole endurance race. So that was 2000. Then 2001, I did a few more derby meetings. And then in 2003, I did a championship over in England with my brother as well, uh, which was a new era championship. I'm not sure if it's still going, new era. That was doing places like Cadwell Park and stuff like that. To what extent would you say that you always had the MGP in your mind. The initial goal was to race at the Manx Grand Prix because that's what I was here watching my dad. You know, I started out as the kid who was sitting in... Uh, we used to be able to sit in pit lane at the time. I'd sit in pit lane and wait for my dad to come back from early morning practice with my hot chocolate from the Hailwood Centre. Those memories from being a kid, you know, when I started racing, the reason I started racing is because I wanted to race at the Manx Grand Prix. That was always my goal obviously when you start racing you have to start at the beginning and you have to start as a novice and you do the race school and then you have to do so many races in the first year to get rid of your novice license then you have to do so many races in the top half to get rid of your clubman license and to get earn a national license to go and race at the Manx Grand Prix so that was my goal from the start yeah it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder how many people sitting along the hedges or now watching it on television really understand the process that riders have to go through. I don't think a lot of people do, actually. Obviously, people know that you can't just turn up and jump on a bike, but there is an awful lot you have to do. It takes at least three years, you know, to get the right licence to go and race on the the roads and at the Manx. What I did as well, I did Derby Road before the year that I wanted to do the Manx because I wanted to make sure that I enjoyed it, although I always wanted to do it. You don't know until you do it. And um, I, I just, it just really clicked for me. I love Jerby Road. It's a very fast circuit, Jerby Road, quite bumpy and a bit, you know, twisty. And it was fantastic. And I did that and I just thought, yeah, this is where I want to be. 
this is what I want to do. So talk us through how you got to that MGP start line then. I knew I needed to get my national licence. So my brother was going to do the New Era Championship in 2002. So that's why I did that, to get more experience, because you have to do, I think it's a minimum of six different circuits to get your national licence and finish in the top 50%. And it ended up being that we were both doing it for that because Rob wanted to do the Manx as well. So we both kind of did it together. Um, How important was that to have somebody who literally you'd grown up with, who understood everything that you'd been through and was was facing the same challenges? uh, I mean, it was great. Uh, I hadn't lived with my brother for quite a long time. It was about nine or ten ten years, actually. Yeah, because I left home in 192. Um, so 2002 it was 10 years since I'd lived with my brother um, so it was it was great it was really good actually I mean there was my dad there was my brother and then there was other guys from uh, Andrews Racing Association that also went across and we had some you know some really good weekends it was brilliant um, so yeah it, it was good you know there's always a bit of sibling rivalry isn't there I was but... going to say it was that competitive edge <laughs> there is a, there is definitely a competitive edge and if my brother listens to this he'll probably be saying an awful lot <laughs> maybe we should get him in next yeah. time yeah get um, his pers- perspective <laughs> so, you, so you did what you, you needed to do and in terms of the competitiveness were you trying to sort of make it to the MGP before he did (laughs) no no I don't think I don't remember thinking like that Um, I think we both knew that's what we wanted to do and we didn't plan it to work out that way but that's just how it worked out and we both ended up being newcomers in the same year so uh, and my dad was racing as well so my poor mum you know but she's you know my mum's very laid back and chill she doesn't uh, stress too much well not outwardly anyway (laughs) you couldn't though could you I mean you've seen it from the other side now being so aware of what's involved standing and and watching the the newcomers in particular go off and I know you you spend a lot of time with them and and helping support them and uh, I mean are you always laid back and relaxed (laughs) on the start line absolutely not you know that Uh, no I'm not (laughs) so I now can appreciate how it must have been for my mum at the time obviously I mean I hadn't lived at home but I'm still her you know her eldest daughter so um, yeah yeah I'm amazed that she coped with it as well as she does (laughs) what do you remember about what went through your mind on that first lap, the speed controlled lap as it would have been with the travelling marshals? Ah, we didn't get speed control laps. No. So 20 years ago, uh, you didn't. You just went out. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we just went out and we were told by... No, not by anybody official either, you know. I mean, I think in the briefing they would say to you, follow the classic guys, you know, the people with the white jackets on. So there were people like Dave Madsen-Migdal, Bill Swallow, Chris Palmer even, you know, they'd be wearing white jackets over their leathers because they were racing classic bikes. Not fast bikes, but very fast men. Or women. Um, Mostly men. Yeah, so we were just told, you know, follow them. So, and that's what I did. I think I might have even been out with my dad because I was racing the 400 and dad was on the 250 and I think we used to practice together. Although I don't remember coming across him 
very early on. I do remember later on in my racing days. But uh, yeah, so you would just follow a classic guy and follow their lines. That that was the advice. No speed control lap then. And was it everything you hoped it would be? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I did laps with my dad and I did laps with uh, a couple of other people beforehand. But yeah, I had dreamt about it for a long time before I did it. And yeah, it was absolutely everything that I, I dreamt about. In those dreams, did you have an idea of what you wanted to achieve? Yes, I had a very f- firm idea of what I wanted to do. And I didn't tell anybody. But I wanted to do 100 mile an hour and I wanted to get on the podium (laughs) in my first year. That was my goal. I kind of felt like I could do that. I, I did 101 in my first year and I finished fourth in the newcomers race but it was a a, a record breaking year and there's a guy called Stuart Sturrock and he's probably sick of hearing this from me because I say it all the time but he came he broke the lap record in the newcomers race he won the ultra lightweight race as well which is like a very rare thing to win the newcomers race and win the the main race as well and then he never came again (laughs) and I've never forgiven him because any other year if you look at the results and the speeds any other year I would have been on the podium, but he chose that year to come break the record and never come again. So, yeah, Stuart Sturrock, if you're listening to this, I still haven't forgiven you. But did that dampen your spirit or drive you on? No, it didn't. No. I mean, I was I was ecstatic at, after the race, to be fair. I, I, I say that now because... I can say that now because it's a long time ago and I and I have a laugh about it and I I hope if he does hear it, he doesn't take any offence to it because I don't mean it. No, I was ecstatic. I was made up to finish fourth in the newcomers race because at the time that was the highest finish by a, a woman in a race and, you know, fourth is pretty good out of 15 people in a class for your first time around a race. I was, you know, I was made up and then I did 101 in the ultra lightweight race. I achieved everything I wanted to achieve really. I was very happy with that. <laughs> and in terms of being one of, I don't know, were there any other women that you know of in the MGP at that yeah, time? Yeah, I think Ellie Forrest was on a 125 in the same newcomers race as me. Maria Costello was racing obviously. Can't remember if there was anybody else. I think there might have been a woman called Virginia Power. She used to race a 750. There was a couple, yeah. I mean, my memory's not great these days, but yeah, definitely. I, I know Virginia was racing when I first started and I'm sure she was probably racing that year. But in terms then of still only being like a handful of women, how much attention did you get? I think a lot of people did sit up and take notice. Uh, not necessarily at the start of the week, but after I finished fourth in the newcomers race, that year was... Another, a record-breaking year for many reasons because Ian Hutchinson won the Newcomers A race. I was in the Newcomers C race. But yeah, I think after finishing fourth, a few people were kind of like, oh, who's this? You know, uh, I, I think it did make people notice, yeah. So you enjoyed your first year. Mm-hmm. Was there any question of you coming back? Honestly, it's such a, a weird feeling after you've done the Manx for the first time. So I went home and I didn't want to be at home. I didn't want to be at work. I didn't want to be anywhere. I just was daydreaming laps of the Isle of Man for weeks, weeks afterwards. It was like a big, you know, it was like a big depression afterwards you know the the post manx blues really set in and i couldn't wait to come back again <laughs> and was it any easier sort of getting everything together that you needed as as the years went on yeah so uh as the years went on martin bullock supported me a bit more and I've always been quite fortunate that I've a fair bit of infrastructure around me anyway so I 
probably didn't have to do as much as some people. I mean, I still paid for my tyres and brake pads and, you know, I had to pay for my racing all year round. But I did have phenomenal support from my dad and from Martin Bullock's team. I had a lot of good help in the beginning, which was good. And that dream of being on the top step, I mean, I suppose I can say this now, it clearly never went away no I mean I think when I started my goal was to get on the podium and I didn't think for one minute that I could actually win one in the first year that wasn't like I don't remember that being a goal but after being so close and then I thought hmm yeah maybe I can do that you know and and that was something that kind of formulated over the next couple of years really but it was not something that I ever said to anybody you know I always kept that in my chest and that was in my head and that was just something that kind of built over time and and became a focus without me shouting about it really do you know at what point you realized it was going to happen oh gosh well my second year 2004 was a really tough year uh we lost teammate tommy clucas obviously and um that year i went out in the ultra lightweight race after after that had happened and finished eighth and um that was although i uh my fourth place in the newcomers race was the highest finish up to then that's a newcomers race. In the main races, that was the first time a woman had finished in the top 10. So then I was like, hmm, you know. And then the next year I came back, 2005, I think I qualified about third or fourth quickest. And so that was when I started to think, yeah, I, I know I can get up there anyway. Maybe not top step, but I knew I could be up in the, in shouting distance. Yeah, that it just... Every year was just that little bit closer. And then 2007, I think I finished, I qualified about second fastest, something like that. So it was just always, you know, it takes so much to get on the podium around here. You know, you've got everything. It's not just about you thinking you can do it or knowing you can do it. You've got, everything's got to go right. The bike's got to keep going everything's got to fall into place you know there's a whole load of luck as well as judgment really we get to the race where it happens can you still visualize that in your head oh, is it gotcha. a bit of a blur <laughs> oh yeah i still it's still and especially around the time of the manx you know when i'm watching other people doing it and i watch other people achieving their goals and getting on that podium and it brings it all back again i watch people and you know and i see them doing it and i and it does bring back all those memories how straightforward was that race um it wasn't straightforward really nothing is around the other man you know we, we worked really really hard all practice week so at the start of the year just to go back a little bit at the start of the year um martin bullock got together with paul morrissey uh two different sponsors uh to to get me a new bike because i'd crashed out of third place the year before on the honda they knew they wanted to get me that little bit further up wanted me to test the yamaha because the yamahas have a bit more top end than the the hondas and can be a bit faster so we tested the bike three bikes at the start of the year and I got to choose which one. So like, you know, kid in a sweet shop. <laughs> so, uh, and I chose the one that suited me best because the, the Yamahas are very, very different to the Honda. And we spent all year 
getting that bike how I wanted it, changing little things like the ride height, the seat height, the steering damper, everything, everything was so different. And then even all that practice week, we were still changing little things. We had a lot about weather in practice week as well. There was a lot of rain, chucked it down really chucked it down that week (laughs) typical Isle of Man weather you know we'd spent a lot of time playing around with gear ratios and stuff like that as well and yeah coming into the race I knew I could do it we knew we had the speed because again I, I qualified second fastest and I'm never as fast in practice as I am in the race ride well within my limits in practice and I don't have the same you know for want of a better word like in a race it's different when I've got my race face on so yeah i'm never as quick in practice as i am in the race you know practice is about getting everything working the way you want to get it working so uh yeah but i went into the race really really confident but it threw it down the night before so there'd been a lot of standing water on the on the roads we lived in patrick at the time so just moved over and roger set off to the paddock and i didn't know he went the long way round over the mountain my other half tt racer and da la la he set off and went the long way round and i went backwards on the circuit through greber and there was loads of standing water and stuff and before the race when they closed the roads they put the road sweepers out to get rid of some of the standing water and the road sweeper dropped all its bristles at, at greber castle <laughs> so um they actually delayed the start of the race which kind of worked in my favour, I think, because I was really, really nervous going into the race because this was like, this was it, you know, I was going to go for it. But that delay, normally delays get people worked up and, you know, tense and nervous, but that delay actually gave me half an hour to go and walk away, get my head away from it all. Have your nervous wheeze. Yeah, I did. It's a lot harder as a woman. Uh, I wish I had a double zip, but yeah, yeah, I went away and, uh, yeah, had my nervous wee. And, um, yeah, don't never use the portaloos in the Holden area. (laughs) I always go to the Hellwood Centre. And, yeah, it gave me half an hour just to, I think there would have been a bit of a issue with the bike on the line as well and the the guys were all getting quite stressed and that was stressing me out so I was quite glad of that half an hour delay and the race itself how much do you remember of that I remember all of it yeah so start of the race uh, I was set off third pair away in the 400 race and I set off with my friend Ross Johnson and the two of us went off down Bray Hill he went ahead of me I had quite a lot of fuel on board so the bike was very very heavy at the start and I was quite nervous about Quarterbridge and Brandbridge because it's the first time you're on the side of the tyre on both sides and once I got through there I was just taking it steady because like I said the conditions weren't great it was really really windy um, particularly up on the mountain and there was a lot of damp patches and standing water there was standing water at laurel bank standing water at handley's the first lap i was really just kind of feeling my way around up on the mountain it was so so windy i think somebody had been blown off their bike before the road shut at windy corner because that's how windy it was so it's just really feeling my way around for the first lap and i think i finished the first lap in sixth and then I started, you know, once I'd done that one lap, I was like, right, I know where all the wet patches are. I know where the wind is the worst. And then I started to get my head down a bit then. I think I spent a lot of the time on my own, to be honest. Going back to Ross, he had a problem with his bike. It started smoking coming up out of uh, the gooseneck. So I remember going past him and I was pointing to the back end of his bike and he he had a look and he was like, mm, stuck his thumb out 
you know, thanks very much. He didn't even finish the first lap, I don't think. And then, yeah, second lap, I don't remember an awful lot about the second lap, apart from I knew that I was going to go straight through because we didn't have compulsory pit stops then. And, um, yeah, I, I knew we'd been testing the fuel all through practice and I knew that I could possibly potentially do it on a, a full tank i remember thinking coming down the mountain i was thinking right don't forget don't forget <laughs> and i remember going through um the start and finish at the end of the second lap i was in third at that point uh and thinking ah, i wonder what they're all saying because i went straight through obviously so uh yeah, I remember having a little giggle to myself, thinking, I wonder what they're thinking now, you know? <laughs> and here she comes now, and I tell you what, she's going right through, she's going right through, so she must think that she can complete the race on the one tank, and if she's going to do that, I tell you, she is going to make history big style. And then the third lap, obviously, because I hadn't stopped, and because I was in third already, and obviously, so that was talked about on the radio, I remember people sort of I remember everybody kind of looking you know all the heads turning as I was coming down Bray Hill and things like that so obviously people were thinking what's going on here third lap was quite good and I just really focusing because I was out on my own then you see because because I'd gone through while the other guys were in the pits I was first on the road so first bike on the road everybody obviously is like oh who's this you know I just remember everybody looking at me and just thinking right focus you know get your head down keep it smooth it was just really concentrating on my lines concentrating on keeping the bike as smooth as possible because it was so windy you know the smoother you are the less fuel you use and the less brakes you use and stuff like that so just really focusing on that yeah Carolyn Sells is here at Ramsey she's made it through to Ramsey 36 and I'm sure she'll be well sorted out on boards very neat and steady and then the last lap. Yeah, so the last lap, gosh, yeah, that was amazing because obviously I've listened to the commentary back since then. I have a copy of it on audio file. I remember Charlie Lambert being very confused as to what was going on and didn't know whether I'd gone through as a mistake and was I going to come in and stop at the end of the third lap. So I remember thinking, right, <laughs> here we go. It's now or never. Went through for the final lap and obviously they were like, well... Here she goes again. Everybody was getting quite excited at that point. And uh, I remember going down Bray Hill and people waving their programs and somebody at the Hawthorne was like holding up their finger, you know, number one. And there was people who'd written number one on a piece of paper and had it held up. You know, there was all sorts of things like that. And all these things you notice, people think you can't see stuff when you're racing and you see everything. Your brain is taking it all in. It's like you're hyper aware. Yeah, yeah. Your, your brain's working at a million miles an hour, you know. I, I, I was seeing all of this, but also like I wasn't trying that hard I was mostly trying to stay focused and just keep it smooth I wasn't going as fast as I could go because I knew I had a lot of time in hand I had a couple of boards out on the circuit Martin at the 13th and then my friend Gail at the Ginger Hall you know and I knew that all being well because I hadn't stopped I had a lot of time in hand so I was just keeping it as smooth as possible and yeah the last lap whenever I came through because being first on the road as well you know everybody stands up and everybody's looking and it's like oh that's for me yeah gosh I just talked to the bike talked to myself it's like please don't let me down I think a couple of times I tapped the bike on the tank you know and I was talking to myself right keep it focused watch what you're doing you know constantly just just reminding myself so that I didn't 
lose concentration anywhere and yeah I remember seeing Connor Cummins on the exit of Balaf he was stood in a hedge as he does he just goes and finds a little spot in the hedge and he gave me a wave you know and and, uh, my friend the 13th somebody was there with Martin Bullock and Martin put the board out for me and the other people were waving at me to slow down and I was like no, I'm not slowing down because I, I was at a really comfortable pace and I, and I felt good. Um, the same happened at the Ginger. They were telling me to slow down. I'm like, no, I'm not slowing down because if I slow down, I might lose my concentration. So, yeah, that last lap was just mostly just me trying to hold it in and uh, make sure that I kept everything together. <laughs> and then crossing that finish line, seeing the chequered flag, knowing that you'd done it and you'd secured your place quite literally in the history books. Yeah, I mean, obviously just before that is Governor's Dip, which is the worst part of the circuit and it had been so slippery that week. So I wobbled around that bit thinking, please don't do anything silly here because I had done on the, the Wednesday on the 600. I'd lost concentration going through Governor's Dip and hit a, a wet patch and nearly high-sided off the bike. So I was like... I had it in my head, please. And so, yeah, coming down and then obviously want the relief of getting out of the dip and then heading down to the chequered flag. And as soon as I, as soon as I passed the, the chequered flag, it just all came out. I was crying, screaming, shouting. I was shaking, you know. Uh, it just all all came out. That, that whole, you know, that's four laps of concentration but also the last lap knowing right I'm so close now you know I can do this I can really really do this and she comes into view now Carolyn Sells takes victory the first woman to win the Manx Grand Prix and the first woman to win a race over the mountain course and she's done it on the 20th anniversary of the first woman ever to be allowed to ride in the Manx Grand Prix. And of course then I come up the return road and everybody's waving and I was crying in my helmet. My, my legs were literally like jelly. And then they stopped me into the winner's enclosure. If you know what it's like, you sort of come up a bit of a slope and then it drops down into the winner's enclosure. Well, because everybody was like crowded round, I stopped at the top and I was off balance and my legs were already like jelly. So I kind of stood there and the bike fell over in, in between my legs. I didn't actually fall off it. It was just the bike tipped over and everyone started laughing, so, which is pretty typical of me, really. It's like, hey, here I am. Let's make an entrance. Yeah, so they had to pick, help me pick the bike up because I couldn't do it at that point. I was just There was just too much emotion, do you know? So, and uh, yeah, Chris Kinley waiting there and Tim Glover with his laptop and it was packed. I don't think I'd ever seen the winner's enclosure that, that packed. I get all giddy thinking about it now. I can't believe I just did that. I got to the 13th and I got a board off Martin. Nice one, Martin! Saying P1 and then I thought, right, okay, just keep it together, hold it together. And every all the way around, people were clapping, they were pointing number one fingers. I saw Connor Cummins out there and, oh, it was just amazing. I just kept telling myself, hold it together, hold it together, don't make a mistake, you know? It was fabulous. I got extra boards at the Ginger and everything. It was just brilliant. Thanks so much to Damon, uh, Paul, Paul Morrissey, who owns four. Martin Bullock for supporting me all of this time. My mum, my dad, Roger is fantastic. My cousin Jason Heiger, everybody, thank you. This is amazing. Come on, honestly, what does this mean to you? The first woman to win a solo race around the mountain circuit, whether it be TT, Manx Grand Prix, whatever. 
It's amazing, and 20 years to the year that women were allowed to race here. You know, I started at the Manx Grand Prix, and all I ever wanted to do was ride on the circuit. And when I came here, I realised it wasn't too bad. And over the last few years, all I've wanted to do is win one, and I've done it now, and I just, it's amazing. Once you have been through that, you've achieved the goal that you, you didn't even speak out loud to anybody. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from there? I didn't go anywhere. I knew that that was it. So the year before... I had thought about doing the TT the following year. So my plan was originally to do TT in 2009, if they'd have me. When I crashed out and I found out I was in third place at the time, which I thought it was, but I wasn't entirely sure, I thought, I can't not do this again. But I always had it in my head that that was going to be my last year of racing. Me and Roger had got together. We'd been together a year or two at that point, and we were talking about buying a house and settling down and... So these things, you know, and I was 36, so, uh, you know, you kind of think, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to do that sort of soon-ish. So I, I had it in my head that 2009 was going to be my last year. If I hadn't have won, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have packed it in. I maybe, you know, but, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I just, that was it. I thought, that's it. You know, I was supposed to go out in the senior that afternoon, actually, because I think that was the first year that we were allowed to do two races in a day because uh, previous to that at the Manx you weren't allowed to do them. I was supposed to go out in the senior and I've got photographs of Roger pushing that bike through scrutineering with cling film on the wheels because that's how muddy the paddock was. It was to keep the mud off the tyres. I just thought the weather's rubbish and I, I decided I wasn't going to do that. So yeah, so that became my last proper, well, my last road race anyway, yeah. I'm going to ask you this question, sort of having stood next to you on a start line seeing people go out (laughs) and possibly knowing the answer. But is there any part of you that would still go out there and do it? Oh, there is a part of me, yeah. That part gets smaller, I think, as the years go on. I'm 50 now. I'm under no illusion that I don't think I could actually do it anymore, especially not after 15 years of not doing it, we touched on it before. When you're racing on the roads, you're going so fast, your brain has to work really fast, and I don't think mine does anymore. But there's always that part of you that really wishes you were doing it. Most people I speak to who don't do it anymore think it's that, you know, if I could guarantee that I could do it, I'd be safe. You know, I could come home to my kids and all the rest of it, then absolutely would do it, but... You know, now I have I have other people to think about. <laughs> and those people include your three daughters. Yeah. How likely would you say it is that any of them are going to follow in your tyre tracks? Um, one of the twins, Bobby, she keeps telling me that she is going to be the second woman to win a race on the TT course. And do you know what? It's been 14 years. She might well be. Nobody else has done it yet, have they? So um, she's nine, you know. 10, 11 years, you never know. And would you be okay with that? Ask me that in 10, 11 years' time. I think at the moment, obviously, you know yourself, you've got kids. When they're little, you just think, absolutely no way. But if she's 18, 20, she's done racing up to that point, she's got herself to that level, will I feel differently? Probably If she's anything like you, will you have any choice? Uh, No, (laughs) probably not. No. She's a demon on a bike, actually. She's pretty good. So she's definitely a daredevil.
And you really, over the past couple of years, have seen the other side of this sport, being in charge of the microphone. <laughs> and um, the, the insight you have is obviously invaluable. How have you found that? Do you know, I've loved it. I really loved it. I mean, I've been working with newcomers since I finished racing. So that's 14 years now. I've seen a lot of people come, go, do really well. You know, Sean Anderson is one of them. But I took him out for his speed control lap, actually, in 2010. You know, and I, and I have a joke with Sean. I'm like, yeah, I taught you everything you know. <laughs> you know, I really didn't. You know, he's far faster than I ever was. But, I, you know, that's just a little joke I have with him. And um, I'm, I'm a bit like a mother hen really (laughs) you know I do nurture the guys probably some of them more than they want to be but you know I like to keep an eye on them and I like to be there for them to ask questions and um you know and just give uh, advice because I think it's important you know uh, we didn't I had my dad to do that and and people that I knew but there are a lot of people who come over here and they don't have that family infrastructure you know they don't they don't know people that raced here before it's just something they wanted to do so I think it's important to be there and and uh, yeah and look out for them I like looking out for people and so finally looking back with everything you know now would you do it all again <laughs> absolutely I actually said this the other day on Facebook um uh, somebody I know posted something and I said you know what with hindsight you know we've all got hindsight but 30 old me yeah, absolutely, I'd do it again. 50-year-old me, maybe not, but 30-year-old me, yeah, definitely. Carolyn Sells, thank you so much. Thank you. Carolyn Sells, and honestly, if you get to watch her next MGP on the start line, it's something to behold. If you'd like to tell your story, I would love to hear from you. BethSB at manxradio.com. You can find that email address on the podcast page. And until next time, bye-bye.